0: You have your Bible turn to Luke the 14th chapter. Luke the 14th chapter. I would imagine that probably every parent, at least uh, back in my day, anyways, has said to their child at some point, Why don't you just grow up? Or why don't you act your age? Uh, Because we want them to mature, we want them to grow. And in a sense, that's what they are doing. Uh, but what the parent wants is that child to stop acting so much like a child and to act more like an adult. And I think that sometimes as parents that we can put more pressure on our children than needs to be placed upon them by trying to make them act older than they really are. And that's, I think, of pushing our society today to make children grow up faster than they need to. But I think that what we, what we need to understand is that as Christians, we need to grow. God expects us to mature. And you can look at various passages of Scripture that tell us that as a Christian, we are to grow and to mature. There are things that we need to get rid of in our lives and replace them with good things in our lives. And that's exactly what we see Peter telling us uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, continuing on into chapter 2, that we are to grow, and that we are to mature, and that we are to desire the sincere milk of the Word, but we also need to replace some things, get some things out of our lives. In other words, we need to grow up. And that's the point I wanted to make this morning. And as we look at Luke chapter 14, we find a parable there of the feast. Beginning in chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. Let me get there. Beginning in verse 16, it says, And he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say unto them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five oxen or yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant became, so that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as Thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that My house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of My supper. And at verse 25 he begins to apply what he said Because it goes on to say, And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and sister and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be in my disciples. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great ways off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace." So likewise, whosoever he of you, that forsake not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so we look at this parable and we see that a man had prepared a feast, a dinner, and they were invited. They were invited ahead of time. It isn't something that he fixed a dinner and says, hey, why don't you come on over? This was an invitation that he had sent out because it says he had bidden them to come. And so he had invited them, they knew about it in advance, and he prepared this meal. Now it's time for dinner. And he sends out the word that we're ready. And they begin to make excuses. And the first one, that says that he needed to go look at his land that he just bought. Think about that for a moment. What? Th- that's a very lame excuse when you think about it. Because how many people buy land sight unseen? Now, I'm sure that that's happened. Where people have not seen the property, but they bought it anyways. Because it sounded like something good. But if you could buy the property sight unseen... Why is it so necessary that I have to go right now and see it? i got to go check it out. All he's making is an excuse. And I want us to understand that sometimes, instead of just being honest and saying we don't want to do something, we make excuses. And this individual obviously did not want to go to the dinner. And so he made an excuse. The next one said he bought five yoke of oxen. Think about that one. How many of us buy a car that we've never test drove or checked out in any way? He bought five yoke of oxen, and he needed to go and prove them, make sure that they were capable of, of of doing what he bought them to do. Another lame excuse. And then the man who said, "I have a wife. I just, you know, I'm, I I just got married." Now that one sounds like a legitimate one, doesn't it? Who wants to make their wife upset? But the question is. Could he not have taken her to the dinner also? Why couldn't he take her with him? There's no inquiry of any of that, and so you can see when Jesus says they began to make excuse that that is exactly what they were doing. Instead of admitting we don't want to go, they began to make excuse. There are many people today that accept the Lord's invitation to become a Christian but they're unwilling to follow through on that commitment. You see, when we obey the Gospel, when we become a Christian, we're making a commitment for the rest of our lives. It's like marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is supposed to be, when you say, I do, it's till death do you part. And so when we obey the Gospel, we're not not finished with the work here on this earth until we come to the end of our life. But yet we make excuses and allow other things to get in our way. And so I want to look at these, th- these items that are on the screen today and see if we can make some application to our own lives and see how a child may think and then how a mature person should respond in how to deal with these things. And so first of all, I want to look at my family or family first. You know, children have strong ties to their family and that's quite understandable. Understandable. Mom and dad's gone through a lot to bring them up into the world, and so you're closer to your mom and dad. And it's needful. Uh, we want to, uh, our children to trust their parents as they're growing up. But that relationship is uh, the relationship's, uh, permanent, but that situation of dependence when you're a child is not the same when you mature. And so Jesus is telling us here that one of the marks of, of, uh, resp- of uh, adulthood is Is accepting responsibility, is realizing that God and that Christ and the church and the things that God wants us to do have to take a number a priority, a top priority over family. We know in Genesis chapter two, in verse twenty four, beginning, it says, Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. We realize there that God instituted that arrangement, that marriage institute, and so we know that that's something that God ordained. But we also realize that Peter, or that Jesus is telling here, telling us here in Luke chapter fourteen, that I have to love God more than my wife, or a husband, or a child, or a grandparent, or an uncle, or an aunt. God has to be first. And how many of us as Christians are making that commitment today? That no matter what a spouse or family member may say or do to try to get us to avoid God or stay away from God, how many of us are still willing to take that step and put God first in our lives? You see, it's easy to look at the immediate needs. I've known people, and I've known some people that when the wife got up to go to work or go to church, that the spouse that didn't go to church would make all kinds of offers. Would say, Oh, we'll go out to breakfast, or we'll go wherever you've wanted to go. We'll do something fun. And there's the temptation to stay home and try to please your spouse, or do what you know you're supposed to be doing. And I commend those that are willing to do and do those things that they're supposed to do where they put God first because they know that that's an important part of their lives, that that's what God wants us to do. And so just as a man who claimed that he was recently married, Jesus realized that was an excuse. Paul tells us in Philippians 3, verses 3-11, through don't have all the verses up on the screen, well, listen to what he says, beginning at verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. Now listen to all those things that he said was part of his life. But then listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless... And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. What's Paul saying? All those things that were important to me at one point, when I became a Christian, those things were gone. They were useless. They were nothing to me. Christ was His number one priority. The goal is what we need to understand. The goal, which is heaven, is more important than anything that this world can offer. Whether it be something that's offered from family or friends or just the world in general. We need to understand heaven is our goal. We've made a commitment to Christ. And then we can look not only at family... But me first. There's a lot of me first uh, mentality in in our world today. Children only think about what's what's in it for them, and what am I going to get out of this? You know, how's it going to help me? You know, going to grandma's house might be a fun job. You might like to do that. But I know, growing up, if when I went to grandma's house, it was like hundreds of miles that we had to travel. And back in the days when we we traveled, they didn't have all the interstates that we have today, and so it would take hour upon hour. It would take 12, 14 hours to get to wherever you were going, or at least to my grandmother's house. And there would be times that my dad would pull off because we'd leave after he got home from work. And he'd pull off on the side of the road and sleep and because everybody else was asleep in the car. And then you would wake up because them semis going by shaking that car. You'd wake up. Well when we start moving, then he'd start getting upset because we woke him up. <laughs> because he was trying to get some rest so he could get on the road again. So it wasn't a lot of fun in that travel. But we also realized that we were going to grandma's house. People want heaven. but they don't want to sit through a worship service. They want to, don't want to do what is necessary to get, some, get to heaven. They want to be with God, but they don't want the journey that it takes to get there. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 12-13, through 13, "...but ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and a fruit thereof, even His meat is contemptible." He said also, Behold, what a, a weariness it is, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye, brought, bought, and ye brought that which was torn and lame and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering which I which should I accept of this of your hand, saith the Lord. In other words, they wanted the relationship with God, but they'd gotten tired. Is it possible that sometimes we get tired, and that we want to give up, and we want to offer God just mediocre stuff as opposed to the best that we have to offer? How many of us look forward to worship to the point where we're prepared when it's there, when when the time comes? How many of us put forth our best effort when we sing? And when we pray and listen to the prayers, do we put forth that effort to listen to those prayers and lift up our prayer to God? Is our mind in the right place when we partake of the Lord's Supper? Or is it just something that we've gone through and we go through because we're weary of doing it? We've done it so often, it doesn't mean anything to us anymore. When we give back to God, we give back a little bit. And forget about all the good things that He's done for us. Or it just becomes a habit. I wonder how God looks at us today. The adult view is to see the benefit of the journey. To see all the things that we go through in this life. All the responsibilities that we have. All the work that we're expected to do. All those things. And realize that that's part of the journey that gets us to our goal. And the adult views that as a benefit along the journey. Listen to what David said in Psalms chapter 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How many people today, Christians, even members of this congregation, have the attitude of David that when their service is is announced that they look forward to being there. We know we're going to worship on Sunday morning, we're happy about it. How many are going to be happy when we come back and have one service on Sunday morning? And I don't mean happy because it's been an inconvenience because we've had to split up. But when we come back to one service, how many people are going to be excited about that and happy about that and rejoice about that? Or how many's going to look at it as something to dread? Same is true on Sunday evening. Come back. How many want to come back and worship? Are we glad? Have we learned anything from all of this experience? Maybe the thing we should have learned is to appreciate what we have because we can lose it. In Psalm chapter 84, verse 10 For a day in thy course is better than a thousand i had rather be a a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Think about it. He'd rather be a doorkeeper. This is a a, a psalm of the sons of Korah. They would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. There's a lot of wickedness out there in the world today. And they can make that wickedness look good, but God defines it as wicked, and therefore... That's what it is. And so there's many things out there that pull at us and try to get us to be involved with that we know we should not be. But how many look forward to worship? Being able to come and lift their voice up to God. Mm -hmm. Often we want results, but we don't want to put forth the effort. We don't want the education. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation, knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. Brother, we want patience and we want long-suffering and we want love and we want joy and we want all of those things. And we talk about all of those things, but guess what? Sometimes the process to develop those things in our lives is difficult. You want patience? You're going to go through a process to build those patience. You want to be long-suffering? You're going to go through a process to learn long-suffering. That's the way life is. That's the way God intended for it. He didn't plan this life here to be enjoyable and and something that isn't going to be tough. Because if it was heaven here on this earth, why would we want to look for a goal of heaven? Matthew chapter 25. You see there a picture of the judgment scene that Jesus gives. Matthew chapter 25, and verse 31, beginning, it says, "...the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him. Then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the King say unto them on the right hand, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world." For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and, I, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came unto me. There we see a picture of the judgment scene, and I hope you noticed it as we read that. It was the individuals that did something. Those that were involved. Those that were working. Those that were living up to their responsibility. Not those that shirt, uh, you know put off their responsibility, gave it to somebody else, Not those that shirked their responsibility, but those who did what they were supposed to do. And notice it doesn't say the Lord said, well, they didn't have a program to do that. You know, many times we see an opportunity to do something, but yet we want to put it off because, well, no one else is doing it. That does not change my responsibility. This was individuals separated like a goat from a sheep individuals. And those individuals were doing what they were supposed to do. The basis of judgment is not what we've done for others. Not what we've done. Let me get this right. The basis of judgment is what we have done for others. Not what we've done for ourselves. Don't be selfish. Don't put yourself before what God wants us to do. Take the time. To help those that are in need, we all see opportunities. You may have opportunities that I don't. I may have opportunities that you don't. So we need to seize those opportunities. We'll have a little more to say in a moment about that. But follow the example of Christ. When Philippians chapter two verses eleven through or three through eleven, it says, "Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves." also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look what Jesus did. He could have stayed in heaven. But yet He came to this earth And He died a cruel and agonizing death on a cross. Why did He do that? Because He humbled Himself to go about doing His Father's will. Brethren, we need to humble ourselves and be willing and do the things that God wants us to do in this life. We've made a commitment to our Lord. Don't think that You're so important that you can put yourself before God. Jesus said that we're to take up our cross and follow Him. That's not an easy task. The goal was far more important for Jesus and greater than the misery that He was receiving because of what He did. Think about it. What He did and what He accomplished. An adult will do without so that others can do with. How many parents have given up something so that someone else in their family could have something? We know what happens. It happens all the time. Look what Jesus gave up for us so that you and I can have salvation. Don't forget. Never forget what He did. Another excuse is someone else's responsibility. Children like to play. But they'd rather let someone else clean up. I don't know if you know any children like that, but I know too, especially, that they come to our house, they get their toys out. then then you say, it's time to pick them up and put them away. And they start to pick up and they start whining, I didn't get this one out, or Ethan got this one out, or Isaac got this one out. And they do all that in the process of cleaning up. And then they're done. And then you look over and you say, Well, there's a block over there, and there's a block over there. Look under the table or look under the chair. There's a block in there. You gotta get this, you gotta get that. They would rather play than work. No problem getting it out, and I don't mind them getting them out. But we also need to realize as adults life isn't all about playing. You see, people come to worship, but they're willing to let others do the actual work. In Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in verse 30, it says, Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee and my as my people. They hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. What's Ezekiel describing? People that have a good front. They look good on the outside. They say the right things, but they don't want to hear it. They don't want to change. They don't want to apply it to their lives. And how many people that are Christians today have that same type of attitude? I want to hear the Word of the Lord, but I'm not going to do it. And how many come and they hear something that they see that they need to change in their life, and yeah, they have the good intentions of doing so, but then they go out the door... And those good intentions go away. You see, brethren, when we grow up, we take responsibilities very seriously. And we take advantage of the opportunities that are placed before us. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says, As we have therefore opportunities, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That's a challenging passage of Scripture because that would apply to all of us that when we have an opportunity, not just a preacher, not just elders, not just deacons, not just uh, Sunday school teachers, but when we have an opportunity, when you, when I, when all of us have an opportunity to do good, that we are to do it. Especially to the household of faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we're about doing it, when we're doing those things, we need to work hard while we're doing them. As the wise man said, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, no device, no knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. You have that opportunity. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Seize that opportunity to your, yourself. You see someone that needs help. You seize that opportunity and do it with all your might. Do the best that you can. And we also need to understand that our response or our salvation is our own responsibility. In Philippians chapter two, verses twelve through eighteen. Wherefore, my beloved. As ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth a word of life, that ye might rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I have offered upon the sacrifice the service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Paul's not saying go about trying to figure out how to save yourself. What he's saying is you're responsible for your own actions. You're responsible for your salvation. In other words, God tells us what we need to do. You're responsible to do those things. And if you want to be saved, then you have to do what God says, and that's your responsibility. And if you want to remain saved in a saved condition, then you have to live by the responsibility that God has given to us in doing the things that He's told us that we must do. And notice... Paul's day must not have been much different than our day and time. But those things that we're supposed to be doing, do it all things without murmuring and disputing. Don't do the things you're doing, grumbling and mumbling while you're doing it. We're to be a light to the world, an example to the world. I'm still of the belief and the faith that the Gospel can still change this world. And when I stop believing that, I'm going to stop preaching. Because the Gospel of Christ has the power to save souls. And when we stop believing that, we might as well stop existing. So when we're that light that we're supposed to be, we can make a difference in the people that are around us. Children also have another issue. Children often get themselves in trouble because they don't think ahead as to what the results may be of what they're doing. Sometimes that's the problem that we have. People want to be a Christian. But they don't want to accept the responsibility. They they don't want that commitment. They, they you know, give me heaven, but I don't want to do the do what's necessary to earn it. To get it. You see, the Bible tells us that we need to redeem the time. Colossians chapter four, verse five. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Why is it important that we redeem the time? Because our time on this earth is very limited. Jesus said in John chapter 9, and verse 4, I've worked the works of Him that sent Me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. So Jesus realized that while He was here on this earth, His life was it was a temporary thing. It wasn't going to be a permanent thing. He was here for a short period of time. He realized that He needed to get that work done. Brother, we need to understand that we're here for a very limited time. We may live to be a hundred years old, but a hundred years is nothing when you look at the scale of eternity. We're here for a brief moment. So life is short. And as Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us that we need to take advantage of the youth that we have when we're young. Remember thy Creator in the days of thy youth while the day, evil days come not. Nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasures in them. While you're young, you can enjoy life, but the point is, remember God. Make Him a number one priority in your life. And if you do that while you're young, guess what? It's going to be easier as you get older, to make God or keep God as number one. Because sometimes people get old and they get set in their ways and then they have to change a life that they've lived. And that's hard sometimes. But if you're young and you remember God and you obey God from an early day, it's easier for the rest of your life to serve Him. That doesn't mean there won't be difficulties. Doesn't mean there won't be challenges. It just means that you realize the things that are important young, while you're young. You make that a priority for the rest of your life. You see, adults will put off momentary pleasure to get work done. And it's not that adults don't like to play. We like to play too. But we see the consequences of not working. Last year I put a roof on the house, had some friends that helped with that. That's work. That's a lot of work. It's hot, sweaty, eighty pound bundles of shingles, no fun to carry. I'll let other people do that for me. Right, Josh. <laughs> but think about that. What was the benefits of that hard work, that labor? I have a roof that doesn't leak. Before I had a roof that leaked. And so you work because you know that the result is something that's favorable, so you put off playing to get the job done. We need to realize that our joy, our pleasure, our fun comes at the end when we have heaven as our home. And that this life is not going to be easy. But to help prepare for that, we study God's Word. And that's what 2 Timothy chapter three, 2 and verse 15 tells us, "...to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." We study God's Word. Why? It helps us to prepare to know that this life is what it is. We study God's Word to know what the future life is that we plan to have when we die. And we study God's Word to know what we need to do in this life to be ready for that day. How would we know that there's a judgment day if God's Word did not tell us that? And so we understand that and we know that there's a day of reckoning coming and we want to be prepared for it. So we study God's Word to help us to be prepared. We study God's Word so that we know what we need to do to be saved. We study God's Word so we can help someone else to see what they need to do to be saved. And we study God's Word to see what the judgment is going to be about, and how we need to live our lives here on this earth. We need teachers today, adults that will teach others the word of God. In Hebrews chapter five and verse twelve through fourteen, it says, For when from the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is not skillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belong, belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their uh, senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Another passage of Scripture that shows us as Christians we're to grow. We're a newborn babe in Christ and then we are to mature. We are to continue to develop and to be able to teach someone else. We may not be able to stand up here in front of people and, and proclaim God's Word, But certainly when you're in a one on one and you have an opportunity to tell someone about what the Bible says or how they're supposed to live and what's wrong with sin, we should be able to do things like that. Ezra said in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, it said of Ezra, For Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. How did he prepare himself? With the Word of God. Brethren, we need to be teachers. We need to grow to the point where we can tell someone else what they need to do in order to have heaven as their home. And last, we need to know our goals. And when we know our goal, that will limit our choices. Children are easily distracted. They can easily lose themselves following one interest, one interesting thing after another. You walk down a trail with a child and before you know it they're looking at a bug over here or a stick over here or a tree over there or some other critter that they've seen somewhere else. They get distracted very easily. We don't want to be distracted. James tells us that we don't want to be double minded. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. We don't want to be like a wavering wave of the sea that's tossed to and fro, driven by the wind. We want to have a solid foundation and know where we're going. We need to be determined. As Ephesians chapter four verses fourteen through fifteen tells us that we don't want to be be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the sleight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Brother, when we know our destination, where we when we know our goal. And our goal should be to serve God in in spirit and in truth. And when we want to know the truth, we know where to go to find it. And there are many false teachers out there that are very tricky and cunning and they can say things that sound so good on the surface, but when you dig into it, you find out that what they're teaching is wrong, it's false. And when you have a goal, when you know that you want to serve God and you want His Word in your heart, you want to study it, you know and you can understand what is false and what is true. And so don't be one of those individuals that's blowing all over the place. Be one that's rock solid in the Word of God. Our faith must be based upon His Word. And when I know where I want to go, I will limit, it will limit my choices to those that will get me to that goal. Distractions are easily avoided when we know our destination, when we have that in, in mind. Moses, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that he chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for season. There was distraction in Moses' day also. He could have a life of luxury in Pharaoh's house, but he chose to be with his people and to suffer their affliction rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin. That's when you have a goal in mind. That's when you're determined because you know the pleasures of sin is not going to take you where you want to go. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses one through three says this Wherefore seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight in a sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, <clears throat> looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your your minds. When we know the goal, we may get tired. We may get weary. But when we see the goal and we know what God wants us to do, we're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. We're not going to faint. We're not going to get weary at, to the point where we stop doing what we're supposed to do because we know that that goal that God has given us is worth it. And so the question is, isn't it time that we all grow up? We need to wake up, as Romans chapter 13, verses 11-14 through 14 tells us, that we need to wake up. We need to realize that today is the acceptable time as we can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 through 2 that today is the day of salvation and as a song we sing tomorrow may be too late we need to understand that we need to make changes today in our lives if they're needed don't wait till it's too late don't make excuses for yourself Hebrews chapter 4 verses 11 through or 7 through 11 It says again, He limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if ye will hear hear His voice, harden not your heart. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would He not have afterwards have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that that is entered into His rest he also has ceased from his own works as God did from him. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What are you doing to enter that labor of rest? What are you doing to have heaven as your home? Jesus tells us what we need to do. made it very simple when He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What do we have to believe? The Gospel. The Gospel is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose victorious over the grave on the third day. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? If you do and you're not a Christian, you can change uh, your destiny today by being obedient to His will and being buried with our Lord in baptism. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you've gotten tired of living that faithful life. Maybe on the outside you look good, but on the inside you realize you're not what you're supposed to be. I want to encourage you to make changes in your life. Realize that commitment that you made when you obeyed the Gospel. God's promised us a home in heaven. We need to be faithful. And if it's time for you to change your life, then do so. And if you need God's help, He'll help you. If you need our help, we're here to help you. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.